just to explain the context again, this is quite a long chapter. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 for a few more weeks yet. There's quite a lot of segments uh, in here, a lot of incidents that we'll be working through. So we're about halfway through the chapter now, barely that even. And uh, we're continuing straight off the back from where um, Pete was preaching last week. And just to remind us of what's happening in this incident, Jesus is, has been preaching to a crowd who had gathered as he goes from town to town. Jesus is now on the move. The mission is now, has now gone mobile. And more and more people are joining the throng. They're joining the crowd as he goes. And it's quite a mixture of people. There are some people there who are utterly sold out for him and for his life-giving message. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we met Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna. And then it says there was many other women as well who were supporting the mission. They were sold out for Jesus and giving of themselves for it, and they're just an example of some of the clutch of people who are amongst his crowd. Um, but there are also some people there who are just simply curious. They're just drawn to there's something going on here. There are people who are expecting a miracle. They're just waiting for you know, a magic trick that some people were after. Um, there's others that are just caught up in the emotional groundswell of it all. It's local news. We heard about Jesus at the other towns and what he did and what he said, and he's here. You're naturally going to run out of your house and go and have a look, aren't you? So people get drawn to a spectacle, don't they? When something happens down the road that ends up on the local news at 6pm, you see all the people all gawping with their phones, don't you? We naturally are drawn to want to know more and to ogle at it. So this is a big crowd that's now gathering. We're going to find out in next week's chapter that, in fact, the, the crowd has is, is, is got too big for Jesus' own relatives to even reach him. It's tightly pressed, and even his own uh, family can't get to him because there's this crowd that's pressing in around him. But... Jesus' heart is revealed immediately. As he gathers more and more followers, he's very, very keen to ensure that those who do so, they're not hangers-on. They're not swept up by the emotion of a big crowd or the emotion of an event. He's keen that these are rather the people in whom his teaching takes root and bears fruit. And so he's begun teaching them. Uh, specifically and directly, um, I say directly, with a parable that they don't understand. <laughs> but that's to make sure people, if you really want to know, you're going to prove yourself that you're someone who wants to know what this means, which is disciples, his decided followers, they're going, Jesus, please explain this parable. So he explains the parable of the sower. He's given this illustration of what it means to receive or to not receive, to not put into practice his teaching, which is what Pete shared with us last week. And now... Immediately after having shared and then explained to his followers the sower's story, Jesus goes straight into talking about lamps and about secrets, which sounds like it's different yet again, but actually it ties in perfectly with what's gone before. This is a perfect sequel. Um, so Jesus is going to be using light as a reference to his word in action in our hearts, just like he did in last week's section about seed falling in good soil or bad soil. If you recall the final verse of what Pete shared with us last week, in verse 15 of Luke 8, Jesus says, As for that in the good soil, those people, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And that fruit, we're going to find out, is Jesus' light shining in us and then shining through us. So let's read, there's just three verses we're going to read that Jesus continues with, from verse 16 just through to verse 18. And it goes like this. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, 
but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. Those are significant words. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Very challenging words which we're going to delve into over the next 20 or so minutes. There's three verses here. We're going to look at them each in turn. They make three separate segments. The first one about you light a lamp, you're not going to stick it under the bed. You're going to put it up for where everyone can see it. It's about visible light. We're going to look at that in a moment. The middle verse, verse 17, talking about secrets being, being, being revealed. It's about exposed truth. So it's visible light, exposed truth. And the third verse about those who have, who have will have more and those who don't will end up with nothing. It's about the brightness being turned up or effectively turned off. We're going to look at those three things. Visible light, exposed truth, and the brightness being turned up or turned off. But we're going to look at them in a slightly different order. Just for the sake of helping us hear this, we're going to save the middle verse till last, because that's where actually the, the, kind of the bigger challenge comes in. We'll save that to the end. So uh, we'll do verse 16, then 18, and then we'll come back to verse 17 that helps us reinforce this just for today. So let's look at verse 16, about visible light. Because... Jesus, off the back of explaining the parable about the seed of the gospel taking root or failing to in our hearts, he immediately turns to this other image about not hiding a lamp's candescence. He's basically saying, that would be a stupid thing to do. Why would you do that? There's a purpose to light. If you light something, it's for a reason. If you go into a dark room and you turn on a light, you didn't do it for no reason at all. You did it to be able to see What's in the room so you don't trip up or you find what you're looking for or so, and so on. You don't, you don't go, I'm a bit bored. I think I'll turn a light on. <laughs> you, literally, you literally don't. You turn a light on for a very specific purpose. I mean, it's like street lights. They are not there for, for decorative reasons in a street. They are there for our safety at night. They are there for a very specific purpose. Or a lighthouse is not there to look nice on the end of a rock. Maybe you can take a photo or, or paint it. or something. It's there for safety. It's there for a very big reason, to safeguard the seagoing vessels so they don't crash into the rocks. Or you've got to click on a torch. Same, same thing. If you're in a dark alley, dark woods, don't know why you're there, but in your garden at night looking for slugs, you've got, you've got, you've got, you're turning your torch for a reason. You don't turn it on for no reason. Or even, and Helen will teach us about this, even at crime scenes, you've got the black light that reveals stuff that the naked eye wouldn't see to give us more clues to what happened here on this crime scene. They turn on the black light for a purpose, for a reason. Or even, even my wife, Jenny, uh, she loves her fairy lights. Her mantra is a girl can never have enough solar-powered fairy lights. The garden lights up like a grotto. She doesn't do it for no reason, for the sake of it, just for a giggle. She does it to make the garden look beautiful. It's for beauty and aesthetic and lighting the way. And so Jesus here, he's saying exactly that. No one would light a lamp without purpose. And lamps in those days, they would have had a candlestick or this oil-burning lamp. And they wouldn't have put it on the floor either. They would have put it on a stand. He says in verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under the bed, but puts it on a stand. 
In that way, it's to ensure that it has prominence, it has height to illuminate more, and it's in a safe and stable position. It's not going to get knocked or kicked. So there's a purpose to a lamp being lit, and there's a purpose to how it's positioned. And we need to remember this. There's a purpose to a lamp being lit, and there's a purpose to how it's positioned. Because light, ultimately, it reveals what was once hidden. It illumines a path for us. It guides us. It exposes and helps us see the way. And Jesus has done exactly that in us. Jesus is the light who has come down and shone in us. And there's plenty of verses that help uh, demonstrate this. Um, even in at the beginning of Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 1, towards the end of that chapter, we see this wonderful moment where John the Baptist, he's Jesus' second cousin, and he's um, commissioned by God, ordained by God to be the herald for the coming Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. This is what John was supposed to do, and he did as an adult. But even at his birth, his father, Zechariah, prophesies over his baby son. And he says, this is what my son's going to do. He's going to herald the coming Messiah. And when he describes the Messiah at the end of this prophecy, verse 78 in Luke chapter 1, this is what Zechariah promised prophesies about the coming Messiah. He said he's coming as the light to illuminate the shadows in humanity. Let me show you. Let me just read these verses out. Luke chapter 1, verse 78. It said, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's how he's describing. God, Holy Spirit has inspired this moment to describe who the Messiah would be and what he'll do. He's coming, Jesus is coming as the light to illuminate the shadows in humanity and to guide us into life abundant. And that's what he's now come to do. And that's described yet again in another prophecy, even you know, 700 years earlier, by the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 9, the first two verses of that chapter. It describes the Messiah will come out of Galilee and the people who were once in darkness will see a great light. And now in these chapters in Luke chapter 8, we're seeing this happen. In Galilee, a great light has appeared to, to lead people into life everlasting. Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies already. And then the Bible goes further, using this um, illustration of God's word as light and himself as light. The Bible tells us God's word taking root in our hearts is itself enlightening and noticeable. There's the famous verse in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's one that many of us as Christians will become familiar with. So God's inspired revelation. This is God's inspired own revelation of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing and what he's going to do. What that does, that opens our eyes to what we would not otherwise see or hear. This lights the way for us. And then Jesus himself he takes that one step further in John chapter 8, just to make sure we don't miss the point. John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, you have the light of life, himself, the light of the world. As we turn to him in repentance as we lean on his sin-defeating work through the cross, he resides in us. Christ in me. Those three words blow my mind. Christ in me. Hope of the world, the light of the world. Shining in us. 
And then just one more. I just want to keep ensuring that the Bible itself forces this home for us. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Paul writes to the church there, and he goes straight for the jugular. Just to, just to make sure you don't miss this, he goes, Guys, for at one time you were darkness. Not just were even, weren't even in darkness, you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And if you are his, if you as what was once a dead lamp have been lit by his word coming aflame in your heart, then his light shines in you. And hopefully through you. And there, that bit there lies the crux of what Jesus is getting at all along. He's saying, if he has set a light in your heart, it's not for no reason. It's not without purpose. The question is how much we welcome that and ensure we don't get in its way. Which is what I want to focus on for the rest of the morning. So who remembers that children's gospel song that first appeared about 100 years ago? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's this, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. There's a choice to make. He's in me, but am I letting him shine? Jesus is asking us to partner with him. We can cover it over. We can suppress the light. We can let it fade somewhat by our choices, by our spiritual demeanor. This is what Jesus is warning about. During World War II, what was known as the Blitz in the UK, some of you will even remember this as children, there were strict laws about light being seen at night, wasn't there? It was, uh, it's called the blackout. It's to make it difficult for German bombers. Every person had to make sure that they didn't provide any light that would help the German pilots as they passed over built-up areas so they don't know where they are and they can't see any targets. And all householders had to use thick black curtains or blackout paint on the glass itself just to make sure that no light shone through their windows at night once the sun went down. Even to the extent that you know, winter months, um, shops are still open but the sun's gone down early. Their shopkeepers had to make sure not only did they black out all their windows, they had to provide a means for customers to come and go without letting any light out through the door as well. And if anybody left a chink of light visible at night, they would very quickly have an air raid warden or a policeman come knocking on the door. What are you doing? Block up that light. Now, that was a good and necessary thing for safety. That was good. But the point is that while unfettered, unhindered light will always, always conquer darkness. That's a law in God's universe that he set up. Light will always beat darkness, full stop. But it can be blocked and it can be filtered. And for us as Christians, whether it's out of a desire for playing it safe, whether it's out of sheer laziness maybe or, or outright sin, we can be in danger of blocking or filtering the light, his light. Whether, that, whether that's out of fear of man, whether it's out of outright resistance to what God wants to do in us, we can put up those thick black curtains of a comfortable life. I'm just, I'm just going to get my head down and just do the easy stuff and entertain myself, leave it there. I'm not going to stretch myself, don't want to be challenged. We can put up those thick black curtains and we can block the light out of him working through us. We can put up the blackout paint of living a lie. We can look like a Christian on a Sunday and not look like one during the week. Possible. We can get in the way of the good light. 
when I was um, building my cabin, we got a cabin at the bottom of our garden. I was building it during the winter months. And uh, before, before, it was, before it arrived, before we built it, I needed a decent concrete base. And it was winter months, and when I was doing it, the days when I was able to do it, the sun was going down. <laughs> it felt like lunch had just happened, and the sun was going down. But I needed to crack on, so I needed to get it done. Once you started laying a slab, if you've done it before, you know you can't finish <laughs> until that slab's done. So the light was going down, so I bought myself some really nice LED floodlights. They're brilliant, <laughs> literally. They're amazing, I love them. They're one of my new favorite toys. And I set them up so they would literally floodlight the bottom half of the garden so I could make sure that I could see the, the cement mixer in the dark, I could see the slab I was still halfway through in the dark, I could see uh, the ramp that I had to get my wheelbarrow up, I could see everything. But because of where it's positioned to make sure I could see everything, sometimes when I'm loading up the cement mixer, or trying to see if there's enough water in it and I need to, need to stick the hose in it a bit more, I'm getting in the way of the light. I have to keep kind of getting out of the way, but trying to squirt the hose in. Or when I'm trying to lay the slab, depending on where I'm standing, I'm getting in the way of the light. I still can't see fully, even though it's floodlit. I still got in the way. And we need to, we need to get ourselves out of the way of Jesus' light in order to let it shine. We can get in the way of it. Just as Pete was sharing with us last week about how we hear and how we respond is absolutely vital. I've got to ask the question, what in me is getting in the way of his light? What in me is dimming his light or maybe even blocking it? Things like busyness can clutter the view. Busyness can swamp his light in us because we're so busy and we're distracted and we're, we're just caught up in our everyday lives or we just, we just can't sit still for a moment. We can become those people in this modern day and age. We can't stop. We can't properly, we don't know how to properly rest sometimes. And that can actually swamp him out of our lives, swamp out our ability to hear him, swamp out our ability to receive and respond and to reflect and to spend time with him. That swamps it, that dims his light working through us. We can get in the way of his light. Maybe unhealthy distractions. I mean, Pete and I, he mentioned it in his sermon last week, Pete and I have had a long discussion over the past few months about leisure pursuits. When are leisure pursuits okay and when are leisure pursuits not okay? And generally, depending on what they are, <laughs> obviously, some things just don't touch with a barge pole, but generally speaking, leisure pursuits are kind of neutral. But it's okay. Jesus enjoyed the pleasures of life. He loved a party. He much preferred good wine over bad wine. He enjoyed the good things in life. Leisure pursuits per se are okay, but we've got to be very careful they don't become unhealthy distractions because of how much time we spend doing them or what they are. We've got to be ensure that they, they don't take over and swamp the light in our lives. They, they drown out our ability to hear and receive and spend time with him and let him work through us and bring transformation. Or it could be outright rebellion feeding sinful desires and deciding, oh, I want that rather than you right now. We can do that, and that can block his light working through, through us. And ultimately, that will, of course, just outright eclipse his light entirely, and everything goes dim. We've seen it in ourselves, quite possibly. We see it in other people. It happens. Which is why in that final verse, verse 18, it's talking about the brightness being turned up or effectively turned off. Because here, Jesus says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. 
and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. The one who has listened will be given more. The one who hasn't listened will lose whatever little they think they have. Who has will be given more. Who doesn't will ultimately be left destitute. And Jesus is saying, you've got a choice here. You can embrace my light, which will always bring life. You can let it shine in you and through you. Or you could be in danger of losing everything. Don't be a fool to yourself. He's saying, here's, here's here's the offer, here's the dilemma. It's not a dilemma, it shouldn't be a difficult choice. He's saying, you can have the blazing sun itself, himself. Or you can end up being left with just a gaping black hole. Ultimately, it's quite binary. It's all, it's all or nothing. And he's ensuring that we take this good look at ourselves and ask where we are at on that spectrum. Because ultimately, that could determine where we end up. I just want to note here that I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm not saying that. We as a church, as elders, we, we fully affirm the core tenet that if you are genuinely his, you are his. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. No one can snatch you out of my hands, he says in the same breath. Ultimately, if you're, if you're mine, even you can't snatch yourself out. out. If this is a gift of grace. That's not something that you're going to lose. I've given it to you and I've chosen you and you're mine. The question, the question is, have you submitted yourself to him as Lord genuinely? Have you done that? Have you relied on his completed work on the cross for your healing? Relying on his resurrection to bring you life and not your seeking of it. And here's the key. Have you seen the fruit of that relationship at work in you? Have you seen that fruit? John the Baptist talks about um, bearing fruits in in keeping with repentance. If you don't see the fruit of that, then we need to have a chat and a pray about where, where you're at with Christ. But you should be able to see some fruit. You should be able to see some change. The key is, if, in which case, you can rest in that, but you just need to make sure that your salvation is not assumed, but it's affirmed. If you've got any concerns about that, come and talk to me. Generally speaking, if you're really worried about, how, am I saved, am I really saved, if that really bothers you, it's a good indication you probably are, because it bothers you. <laughs> but come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, look at the Bible together. But what Jesus is saying here, this is a wake-up call to not fooling ourselves and not taking this seriously, at the very least. He's asking us to press pause and ask, have I genuinely accepted his invite to follow him and have I responded in submission in the first place? Have I done that? And if so, does my life reflect someone through whom Jesus shines? It's a simple question with a simple answer, but it's pretty challenging. And we need to be honest with ourselves. It needs to be asked Because while we may well have accepted his invite to shine through us as we follow him, even as Christians, we can nevertheless get caught up in ourselves. We can get tempted by distractions that swamp his light in us. And so we need to repent. There's a place for repentance. We need to do some business with him. He is unchangeably good. And he is kind. And he is full of mercy. And he is always there whenever we run back. Utterly, utterly, utterly full of grace. We just must never let that generate complacency. Oh, he'll be all right with me. He loves me. That's, that's the wrongful attitude. 
Because you mustn't never, never forget he's still a holy God who is not to be trifled with. It's like a marriage. It's not just making those vows on that wonderful wedding day. It's about living in the light of those vows every day since. That's the good marriage. And so it's a, still a requirement for us as Christians to live up to who we are. This is not a theoretical faith. This is not an academic faith. This is a lived out one. For example, 1 John chapter 1, halfway through verse 5, the Apostle John writes, God is light. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's a hypocrisy there. But he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Remember that verse I just read a few minutes ago from Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 8 where he says, you were darkness, now you're light. He then continues, walk as children of light. He doesn't just go, you are light, done, don't worry about it. He goes, no, you've, got, you've still got a job to do, you've got a choice. You're light, walk like it. We didn't need to, or didn't need to be reminded, or didn't need to be challenged on that, he wouldn't have written it. You are light, walk as children of light. And Jesus himself says it in, when he's sharing this same um, illustration of, of, of being the light, of letting him shine through us. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before others, indicating that it's possible you can choose not to. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. And that's why, at the beginning of this verse, in this chapter, verse 18, he says, take care then how you hear. They're gentle words, but they're striking ones. Take care then how you hear. Again, this is a direct link with what's just gone before, the previous parable about how we do or don't receive Jesus' teaching. We've got a choice to make. How do we do that? We can appreciate there's a choice. Yes, yes, I must. How do we do that? How do we put that into practice? Well, it's about intentional. A bit about being intentional. It's, it's like... I know I'm not the world's greatest listener, as some of you will know. And I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to grow in that. You can ask my wife how I'm getting on. But I know I'm not alone in this either. It can be easy to be listening, but you're not really hearing. We can listen to what someone's saying, and we're only catching what's on the surface. We're not, we're not hearing what's between the words sometimes. Or we can get more caught up in thinking up what we're going to say in return to them without actually listening to what they're saying to us in the first place. We're just practicing our bit in our heads, ready for when we get the chance. And so instead, I am trying to be slower to speak, and I'm trying to be quick, quicker to listen and taking a breath and considering what's being said in any given moment. And It's hard, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm getting there at some point. But the, the same comes to listening to God's Word. The same comes to listening to nudges from God through circumstances or when He speaks to us through other people. We need to give space and be intentional about listening to him as much as other human beings. There's that amazing moment in 1 Kings chapter 19 when God wants to speak to Elijah. And it says, there was a great and strong wind that tore the mountains and broke the rocks. That's not a light breeze. That is a wind you cannot miss. It breaks the rocks. That's some kind of hurricane tornado situation. And it says God wasn't in that. And it says immediately following that, there's an earthquake. You don't miss an earthquake. 
But it says God wasn't in that. It says there was a great fire. It's like, man, you can't miss that. Yes, Lord. They go, no, God wasn't in that. And then it says, then there came the sound of a low whisper. And that's when God spoke. And I have to ask myself, how many times have I missed God's whisper? Because I was too busy, too distracted, or I'd already made my mind up about what he should be saying to me, (laughs) rather than listening out for what he wanted to say to me. It's not easy. We are human. God knows we're human. That's why we need Jesus. But it is a choice to not turn to the Bible in a rush, for example. Uh, Jenny said, I'm allowed to put, give, give, her, give her an example of someone who can just be, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and then I've got to go there and pick them up, and then I've got to pop here. But I've got to read my Bible as well. So if I do that for five minutes now, then I've done that for today, and then I go off and do this. She, she puts her hand up, she knows she, she can be in danger of that. We can treat the Bible as like a tick-in-the-box exercise. And are we going to hear from God in that? We need to be careful how we approach his word We need to be careful how we turn to the Bible, not do it in a rush. We need to do it from a restful place. We need to do it from an open place. We need to give him space so we can hear his low whisper. Even how how do we approach Sunday gatherings, Sunday mornings? Do we come here, just kind of in a rush, got up late, and here we are, and yeah, we're going to sing some songs, and we hear hear a good sermon, it'll tickle our ears, and then we'll go home and probably forget about it. Yeah, ask me me during the week what was preached, and I won't remember, but I, I went to church. We can do that and actually miss what God wants to say to us and let it seep in. Small groups, even how we approach small groups, we can, we can just do that in a rush, tick in a box exercise, and we can miss his low whisper. We need to give space and be intentional. We're like, Lord, I want you to speak. And God, will you help me hear it? <laughs> will you help me slow down and hear your voice? Speak to me and work through me. Above all, we need Holy Spirit. We need his help, don't we? We can't do it alone. We can't do it in our own strength. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit is called the helper, the counsellor. There's a reason why he's called that. And so our intentionality is about making space to listen and seeking Holy Spirit's help in that. We're not alone. And so it's out of that kind of heart, that's just some examples, that kind of heart that those who have will receive more. And those who think they have can end up losing everything. Let's, let's just not be a deluded people. Jesus is determined that we are therefore careful about how we listen and how we receive his word, which, with Holy Spirit's help, then takes root and bears fruit and shines for all to see. But it is affected by how much we choose to allow that. Which then comes to that middle verse that I'm going to finish on. Verse 17 about exposed truth. Verse 17, uh, Jesus says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Nothing hidden, nothing made secret will remain so. We just need to remember that light itself, it exposes, it illumines, it reveals And God's light, the brightest of all, (laughs) that is not going to be foiled by any degree of darkness. The one who sees all is not blind to any secret thing. 
And so here, sandwiched in these three verses, between the first one about ensuring the light, his light shines through us, and that last one about that way, if we allow that and we work with him through that, we partner with him, that way he'll keep doing so more and more. But then right in the middle of these, Jesus is saying that the truth of where we are at on that spectrum, letting his light shine or suppressing it, that will come to light and will be revealed. And so here, here this morning, there just lies this weighty opportunity just to pause and to reflect and to ensure that this isn't an abstract lesson. Very interesting sermon, Steve. Thanks for that. Interesting idea. But rather, this is a lesson that impacts our hearts and exposes how we must respond. Isn't, we've got an opportunity here just to reflect where we're at. We're going to be singing some songs in a minute. While we sing them, let's not just sing songs. Tick a box. Let's allow him to speak to us as we celebrate him and who he is. I just want to leave us just with two things. Firstly, if you don't follow Jesus yet, if you don't know him, there is no time like the present. He is the light of the world. And we are in an age that considers itself the enlightened generation on many major to- top- topics, subjects, philosophical and ethical areas of life, sexuality and gender and marriage and so on. That's just a flavor. What it means to be human, what we're here for, how do we work that out? As each generation comes by, it thinks it's the enlightened one. There's <laughs> a, a telltale a sign there that each generation thinks that they're enlightened one, which means the others weren't. Well, the next generation is going to think this one isn't. <laughs> There's a clue there. But the world we live in right now thinks that they're the ones who finally got it sorted. And yet this generation is as lost as ever. The world around us is as lost as, it, as the world ever has been. And maybe you don't know Christ, the light of the world, but maybe you sense that nagging feeling that There's that question. There's just something not sitting right. There's something that hasn't clicked. Something's missing. You think, I can't see it. I don't know what it is, but there's something that's not sitting right. And I just say to you, just let Jesus shine and show you the way. A reminder of that verse that I read out earlier, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And what you've been looking for, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come and find me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to speak with you. Just don't walk away from here thinking that's an interesting idea. Come and meet with Christ himself. And then secondly, for those who do know Christ, may we be a people through whom his light truly shines more and more in character and in works and in words. That the more people see us, the more they see Jesus. That's my heart for us as Beacon Church. The more they see us, the more they see Jesus. And the key then is to do that together. Because we, the church, are called to shine out for his glory and his glory alone together. Not as a bunch of individuals, but together. Now here's the thing. It's no coincidence that in Revelation chapter 1, There's that amazing vision that the Apostle John has of Jesus in all his unfettered, brilliant glory. He sees Jesus as the Ancient of Days whose face is shining like the sun, whose eyes are on fire, whose voice is like the oceans. And he sees Jesus like this. And Jesus is walking amongst, described, he's walking amongst the seven churches that he's about to give messages to, that we then read in the following chapters. And as he's walking, the ancient, brilliant, 
of Ancient of Days in all his utter brilliance, is walking amongst his churches, what are those churches described as? Do you remember? Lampstands. That's no coincidence. The churches are described as lampstands. You remember what Jesus said? No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The church is called to be a lampstand from which our, his light through us shines out together. Beacon Church is a lampstand from which we can shine for him. You take one light, it's a wonderful thing. I love flames. I love playing with a candle flame. I'm a born-again pyromaniac. I, I love fire. And I'm fascinated by a candle or a lamp fire flickering. It's just, an, it's just a miracle to me. I just love it. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. One of them on their own is quite something. Put a whole load together. Imagine the brilliance and the glory of that, the wonder of that. Us together as Beacon Church on a lampstand shining for Jesus. I want to see that more and more, don't you? I want to see his light in us shining out more and more for, for Herm Bay, for East Kent and beyond. So may we individually not get in the way of his light. There is a personal responsibility here. Maybe that's something we need to talk to him about. But also, may he shine ever more brightly in us collectively as Beacon Church, his lampstand, from which we shine for his glory and his glory alone. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Bob before we sing some songs. Let me just... Do you want to pray or do you want me to pray? I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we stand before you now as your your church that you have not lit for no reason. You've come aflame in our hearts for, for your purposes, for your glory, for your mission, for you to be seen and for you to be known. Lord, we repent of the times when we've got in the way of that. When we've dimmed down the light because we're not interested or we're too busy or we're just too lazy or whatever it might be. We've preferred other things over you. We're sorry. That is wrong. Lord, by your help, by Holy Spirit's help, as we, even as we sing these songs and spend some time in prayer, let this not be something rote that we just do. But may we do some business with you. More importantly, may you do some business with us. This has got to be for you. This is not about us. May we get out of the way and let you shine through us. In Jesus' name, amen.